If you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, the first chapter, I want to read some scripture from Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 7. And I want to talk to you this morning about the engagement ring of the king. The engagement ring of the king. And I debated over whether or not to read all of this or part of it, but I've said many times there are children of God who've been to church for all their lives and they've never heard, uh, maybe ever heard a sermon from Ephesians 1 or ever heard these terms that are in here, which is uh, the, the milk of the word. So let's read at least a portion of this in verse 7. In whom, that's in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Wherein he, Christ, hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. That's referring to the resurrection. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Now listen to the language. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Now watch the sequence. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. I want you to notice what he says there, that after you heard, you trusted, and you believed, and then you were sealed, which is the earnest of your inheritance, the Holy Spirit of promise. I want to talk to you about that this morning, and there's a word that I want to introduce to you. I don't know if you remember several months ago, I spoke to you about a word that the Apostle Paul used under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the under rower. That's a unique word that everybody in those days would have understood. And this morning, the Apostle Paul is at it again. (laughs) And he's using a very unique Greek word. And you don't have to know the Greek to understand it, but this one is, is unique and I want to share it with you. That word earnest, where he says, which is the earnest of our inheritance. It is the word arabon, A R R A B O N. And it's a very unique word. It has to do with earnest money. But it's more. It has to do with a pledge when you're going to carry out a transaction, but it's more. It's a word that comes from Semitic, which is Jewish and Phoenician origin, because the Phoenicians were great traders. And it's a commercial loan word. But it's more than earnest money. It's more than a guarantee. It's more than a pledge. And before I lose you and you can't understand what I'm talking about, I'm going to explain to you, hopefully this example will bring it home, because Sister Tracy got it before I, I'd already written it down in my notes and she got it before I even shared it with her. But the word Arabon is a word that means a like kind exchange. So in other words, the down payment is a piece of what you're going to ultimately get. So in the legal field that I'm in, a lot of times people will pay earnest money. Okay. They'll put cash down to hold a purchase. I've never had anybody come in with a shovel full of the land, you know, and put it on my desk and say, here's your down payment. See, a cash for land is not like kind. Y'all understand that? So I thought, what deep, dark, mysterious, theological 
example could I come up with so that the, the dear sheep at Bethlehem could understand? Sister Tracy got it just like that. Sam's Club. <laughs> you ever go to Sam's and get the samples? That is Atterbone. That's what it is. You get a sample of a little piece of something, you say, man, that tastes good. I'm going to buy that. That is a like kind purchase. You see, you get a sample, a taste of the whole box of what you're going to get. Uh, we used to go there for snacks on some Sunday afternoons. You say, you're cheap, Brother Tim. Well, I bought half the stuff there. You can't say I'm cheap. I mean, I buy it. If it tastes good, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> Don't call me cheap. They put the samples out there so you can sample them. But that's the deepest, darkest, mysterious theological example that I can give to you. Think about Sam's Club. You go and you get a sample, and it's a, it is a piece of, a small piece, in those little toothpicks sometimes, it's a small piece of what you're going to get if you buy it. Okay? Everybody with me? So here, the Apostle Paul says, and I want you to notice the sequence. This is not being born again. It's very important that you understand. Because we know from the Scripture, we know... Peter, take Peter for example. Jesus said that the Spirit has revealed to you that I'm the Christ. That's in Matthew 16. But Jesus and John and the Scripture refers to a time whenever the Spirit would come upon them in a special way. The promise of the Spirit. So this is it's earnest money, but it's more. It's a guarantee, but it's more. It's a pledge, but it's more than that. And by the way, this comes from an old uh, Hebrew word in the Old Testament. It'll reference that to you when you study the word. And it takes you, the first occurrence of this Hebrew word, which was also Adabon, takes you back to Genesis 38, which is an interesting read where Judah, we're not going to go off on that rabbit trail, but when Judah gave his signet ring to his daughter-in-law, who he did not know who she was, and he fathered a child, he actually fathered twins with her, she said, I want you to give me a pledge to secure payment. She was disguising herself as a harlot, a prostitute. And, and she said, give me your signet. And he took his signet ring and he gave it to her as a pledge. He said, what in the world is that doing there? That doesn't make sense for the rest. If you read what happens with Judah later, when Judah pledges himself in exchange for his brother Benjamin. Well, Judah has had a hard knock life. He made a lot of mistakes, but... Unlike a lot of us, he learned from his mistakes. <laughs> and he pledged himself. That was Atterborn. That was a like kind exchange. A human for a human. Does that make sense? As he stood before his own brother there down in Egypt when his brother was going to keep Benjamin. Okay, a little side trail there. But if you need something beyond Sam's Club samples, if, if, if that doesn't tickle your fancy, we can look at something from the Scripture. <laughs> so I'm not just making this up. So look at John 7 and 37. Remember, I want to show you from the Scripture that this is not being born again. A lot of people think, well, you know, this is, maybe this is somebody being born again. And these apostles and these others weren't really born again until this happened. I want you to notice that Jesus Himself, in John 7, let's read in verse 37, Jesus Himself tells us that this is not, and the Scripture tells us it's not being born again. This is something different. In the last day, this is John 7 and 37, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, now Jesus is at the feast, and there's a crowd there, and he stands up and he just cries this out. And don't you know, everybody was kind of scratching their heads after they said that. And, and I would be scratching my head too if it were not for the explanation that's given in the next verse. Jesus says, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Watch this now. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And now look at the explanation in verse 39. And it ties in to what we're all thinking about today, the resurrection of Christ. 
But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Y'all see that? So when Jesus stands up and talks about out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, he's referring to an event that is going to take place when this atterbone would be given. So this is not the new birth. And if you're maybe thinking, well, what about believing? Is that not when you are born again? That's a subject for another day. But notice, believing is not being born again. Believing is a result of God having born you again. That's why the sequence is so important in Ephesians 1. And don't miss the sequence. He said, you heard the gospel. He said, then you trusted that it was the truth. And then you believed. And then you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So we're not talking about being born again. I don't want to belabor that because I want you to see this beautiful picture of, of the Eterbon, the ring of the king. Jesus says that this is tied to my resurrection. So after he's resurrected, you see, this is the difference between Peter hiding and cursing, saying he didn't know Jesus and hiding in the days preceding the resurrection. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and delivers the first gospel message in that age. You see, this is the difference. This is this is the difference that it was made. Whatever he's talking about is going to make that difference. And I pray this morning that you can see and feel that difference also. See, this was foretold even by John the Baptist. I'm not going to make you turn there, but here's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when John is preaching, this is what he said. John says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. You see, John said there's something coming that's greater than what John could do. It's something special. And Jesus begins to specifically tell the apostles about this in the time that he spent with them the night before he went to the cross. This is in John 14, 15, 16, where after they've washed feet, after they've had the Last Supper, after they've enjoyed that last communion together before he goes to die, there's three or four chapters there, and this is the first place that Jesus speaks of the Holy Comforter. You can look it up. It's the first place. He begins to explain to them, if I don't go away, the Comforter won't come. So Jesus is not just going back to heaven and leaving them aimlessly wandering around. He says, I'm going to give you something that is very special. And he calls it the Holy Comforter. It's the Holy Spirit. He talks about that in John 14, John 15. And in John 16, he gets very specific. And he says, what that Comforter is going to do is going to give you a piece of me. He says that the Comforter, he said, I have everything that my Father has given me. And the Comforter, the Spirit has everything too. Because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one. And that Holy Spirit is going to impart the Lord's Spirit into you in a special way. That's beyond just the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the new birth. This is the filling of the Spirit. And it's tied to the truth of the Gospel. Now listen, Jesus said, this is coming. This is going to happen. If I don't go away, you're not going to get it. And the apostles were just, oh Lord, please don't go away. That's how we are, isn't it? They just wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. But in Acts 2, it's where this comes. On the day of Pentecost, which was one of their feasts, it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, verse 1, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues, as, and that means languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. I don't want you to associate what's commonly known today as speaking in tongues with this. It, the speaking in tongues today is nothing 
compared to what this is. This is a miraculous event where they speak in different languages. So there's 18 different nations there, different languages. One man is speaking and they're all here in their language. That's a miracle. You know, it's the opposite today. Nobody knows what somebody's saying whenever they are speaking in what they call tongues. You, you can't really tell what they're saying. And they've even tried to decipher that. You can't tell what they're saying. This right here is one of the miracles that God did to spread the gospel very quickly. And they began to speak in tongues. But the point of this is the Holy Ghost comes down. This is the Holy Comforter. And it says it sits upon them little cloven tongues of fire. The Holy Ghost is always associated with fire. You remember whenever Moses, appeared, uh, Moses saw the Lord in the burning bush? It was in the, in the form of a fire, you see. As a matter of fact, it says at the end of time when the Lord returns, He says, our God is a consuming fire. You see, the, the Holy Ghost appears as a fire, something that burns. What about the men on the road to Damascus as they were going away, walking down the road? And Jesus is preaching to them and He's disguised Himself. And they said later when they found out that was Jesus, they said, did not our hearts burn within us? They had heartburn. <laughs> And it wasn't something to take a pill for. It was the Lord. See, the Lord, the Holy Spirit is associated with fire. Something that burns. You see, Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. The Holy Spirit is going to come. It's going to baptize you in fire. And it's the ring of the king. That's what it is. The erebon. That's what the word means. It means an engagement ring. If you walked up to a young Greek woman today, someone from Greece, and you said to them, can, and she's engaged, and you said, could you show me your Arabona? <laughs> She'd do this right here. That's what it is in Greece. It's an engagement ring. <clears throat> so literally, he is saying that the earnest of the Spirit, what these men and women received right here, was not the new birth, but it was a special imparting of the Holy Spirit that is likened to and actually is an engagement ring, a promise ring here. So let's dive just a little bit deeper in Ephesians 5. I want you to think about the aspects of this promise ring, this engagement ring of the king. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, notice what he says about <clears throat> verse 18. Listen to this now. Ephesians 5, I'm sorry, 5 and 18. I may have said that. Ephesians 5 and 18. He says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, wait a minute. He's taking what would be known as a depressant. Uh, wine is a depressant. Alcohol is a depressant. And he's comparing it to being filled with the Spirit. But they're opposites, you see. Whereas he says, don't be drunk with wine, which is a depressant. But be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is a stimulant. You hear me? You understand the difference? One is a depressant. One is a stimulant. Okay, he says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. If, if somebody gets drunk on wine or drunk on some kind of intoxicating something or other, uh, they lose their balance, right? You know, it says that in the Old Testament. I mean, some of you may have seen that. Some of you may have seen that in real time where somebody loses their balance because they, they don't have their faculties anymore because they're drunk with wine. But the Spirit, on the other hand gives you almost perfect balance. It makes you steady, you see. Somebody that gets drunk on wine loses wisdom. They don't have, they don't have wisdom because they're not at themselves. The being filled with the Spirit gives you wisdom. It, 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 in, it makes you understand things better. It makes you understand some of those things Brother Luke was talking about where we're outnumbered, but we're really not. 
And if somebody is drunk with wine, then they lose judgment, right? You know, that old country song. We've been quoting some country songs here lately. There was an old country song that I didn't care for. It says, the girls all get prettier at closing time. You know, the drunker a person gets, the, 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 le- the, more, the less judgment they have, you see? But being filled with the Spirit of God, which is, which is the opposite of being drunk on wine, you gain judgment. You see the difference? Now, what's better? If somebody was struggling with that sin, wouldn't you rather be filled with the Spirit? And I wish I could say, well, I got a cup or a bottle here that you could just take and, <laughs> and down it and you got the Spirit. I'd be a quadrillionaire if I could bottle that up, wouldn't I? But you can't because it's not mine. You understand? It belongs to the Holy Spirit. It belongs to the Comforter. The Holy Spirit's role is to impart this engagement ring to the child of God. Now, I want you to notice this. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Watch this now. See how this ties to worship and to praise. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You see how that ties to worship and praise? You see, it's more than just an ordinary average experience. It's more than just imparting information. And by the way, it's not the spirit of enthusiasm. (laughs) Y'all know the spirit of enthusiasm, right? There was a great work that somebody wrote. It's out of print now, but I got a digital copy of it a few years ago. Uh, It was a well-known modern-day theologian that wrote about the spirit of enthusiasm versus the spirit of, of the Lord. The spirit of enthusiasm is just get you a game day ticket and go sit in the stadium over here on a game day when Alabama's playing LSU or Alabama's playing, you know, some big rivalry. Even if there's not a big rivalry, there's a spirit of enthusiasm there. <laughs> I'm not talking about the spirit of enthusiasm where you get worked and th- worked up and thousands of people are clapping and shouting and cheering. That's the spirit of enthusiasm. It's not the spirit of God. You say, well, how do you know, Brother Tim? Well, because number one, none of those players, when they win, come out of the stands and come and hug you and say, I love you, I want to marry you. Well, actually, you know, one time I was watching a game. Uh, some, I think it was Boise State. That was about 10 years ago. And the little running back got the MVP. And after the game, he went over and he proposed to the, the head cheerleader who was his girlfriend. But he didn't propose to me. <laughs> you see what I mean? None of those folks are going to come. You know, Coach Saban is not going to come out of the stands and come hug you. So I thank you for being here. It's not going to happen. It's the spirit of enthusiasm. We're talking about something greater than the spirit of enthusiasm. And you may say, well, I don't know if I've ever experienced this today, uh, here today, Brother Tim. Maybe you will experience it today. Maybe you'll experience it in the days to come. And it's not just tied to worship. <laughs> it's not just tied to worship. You can, you can see the engagement ring of the king at different times in your life. Whenever you're not drunk with wine, you're not intoxicated by the things of the world, you must be focused on the Spirit of God and the things of God and the Word of God and the truths of God. You see, I've had that happen to me in my office a few times. I know sometimes, I think I've shared this with my secretaries, I think sometimes they probably think I'm insane. You know, because sometimes I'll be in there singing in the office. Sometimes I'll be in there weeping. And this isn't a daily thing now. It's not a condition I have. But, but, but every now and then, you know, what's wrong? I try to keep that door closed because I know I'm fixing it. Let it go. I'm in the middle of a study. I'm in the middle of something. And I'll share this with you. Um, Brother Brian may not want me to share this with you, but I'm going to because I was part of it. I'm not telling on him. But I'll never forget, years ago, Sister Tracy and the kids were going out of town on a, on a little beach trip. This is 15 years ago. And I've been talking with Brother Brian back there about the truth. We'd been studying and sharing some things. And I was down in the mully grubs because they were all leaving me. I couldn't go. I had work to do. And I was like, this is just wrong of them to leave me, you know. 
I should have got my work done and gone anyway. But on that particular occasion, I was down in the dumps, sitting there in my office thinking, man, I'd rather be at the beach. And here comes Brother Brian in. And I'll tell you what, if I've ever seen a child of God that was convicted by the Arabon, it was Brother Brian. He walked in there and he sat down in my I'll never forget it. He sat down across from me. He had his head down, his lip trembling. He said, Brother Tim, I'm judged. I'm judged. You remember that, Brother Brian? He said, I'm judged. There's no hope for me. And I'm going to tell you what, I saw the promise ring in my heart. I saw the engagement ring in his heart. And I began to share with him the truth of God. And that entire weekend, while my family was gone, uh, we probably looked like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. We went everywhere together. We talked all through the weekend. We talked about what the old brothers wrote in their autobiographies. We talked about what the scripture said. I believe I saw the Atterbone all weekend that weekend. Oh, that's a special time. Maybe you can think of those times when you saw that you were judged and you saw that you were an outcast and that you were worthless and that you were, as the song says, a wretch. That's whenever the truth of God's Word comes along and tells you, yes, you are a wretch. Yes, you are worthless. But you've received the ring of the King. You're engaged to the King. You see, it's not just in church that you experience it. I hope you do experience it in church. But you can also experience it out there. I've experienced it in some strange places. I've been knelt down beside a few gravestones and experienced that from time to time throughout my life. What is it? What is the Erebon? It's the earnest money. But it's more. As I said, it must be a like kind payment. It's the guarantee. But it's more. By the way, the Apostle Paul uses this term, this earnest money or this, this reference to the earnest of the Spirit, only three times. Two times in 2 Corinthians and one time right here. And it's very, very significant. In 2 Corinthians 5, I think it's very interesting that we read that. I want you to see what he's talking about when he uses this. 2 Corinthians 5, and this ties in directly to the resurrection. This ties into what our future holds. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle will dissolve, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tabernacle, in our bodies, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, in our bodies, do groan being burdened. You ever groan, child of God? Not for that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who hath also given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident. Are you confident with this earnest of the Spirit, with this promise of the King's ring? While we are at home in the body, we are absent with the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether we're present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. You see, that is the promise that no matter if we lose our life, if we lose our loved one, if we face trials, if we face tribulation, we have the guarantee by the Spirit of God and it is the ring of the King. C.S. Spurgeon said, the grace that God gives you you don't leave it when you get to heaven. It just matures into glory. You see, you're not going to need your faith in heaven because your faith will be sight. <laughs> and, and the grace that God gives you, that special event, that special touching of the Holy Spirit where you are confirmed that you are a child of God, that's going to be something that just matures into glory. <laughs> As I told you, you ask a modern young Greek woman, say, let me see your Arabona. And she would show you her engagement ring. You see, God 
has not just given you a down payment, not just a guarantee, but He's given you a little piece of heaven inside you. You understand that? You have a piece of eternity inside you. Now, if that's not special, I don't know what special is. Song of Solomon, the, fourth, the second chapter, the fourth verse, it says, listen to what the young lady says. This young Shulamite woman who thought she was unworthy to even be in the presence of the king. It says, He brought me to his banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. You see, this is her king. This is her husband. This is one who is proposing to her. You see, the picture that's given here is a picture that we all love. Somebody proposes. What do you say when you hear about it? Oh, where'd you do it? Where'd you go propose? What were the circumstances? You got any pictures? And we look at that picture and we go, ah, isn't that precious? He's down on his knee. He's proposing to her. He loves her. You can tell. See, those of you that are married or have proposed or are going to be married or whatever. And all of those of you, maybe the young ladies and the young men, especially the young ladies who have that a glorious dream of that one day. What, what, a, what a glorious thing it is. And we picture in our minds, he's down on his knee. That's the picture that Christ portrays here in this ring of the Spirit, the ring of the King. Christ down on his knees proposing to his bride. Thank God it's not one of those situations where she can say yes or no. She doesn't want to say yes or no. He has chosen her, you see. <laughs> and she wasn't even worthy. She was a wretch. That's the picture that Adarbon gives you is Christ down on his knees proposing to his true love, which is you and me. I am my beloved's. Notice what she says. I am my beloved's and he is mine because Christ has given you life through the spirit because he's placed the ring in your heart. Because of that, you can say, I know that my beloved is mine and I'm his. And not only that, but Satan can see that in your life because you have that ring in your heart and it shows that you're off the market. <laughs> you're off the market. You know, you ever heard the old saying, you know, I'm going to ask for mercy later instead of asking for permission. So this could go really good or really bad. I'm sorry, Sister Tracy. She told me to never do this without going past her first, but I was afraid she might say no. So years ago, when I asked Sister Tracy to marry me, y'all ever had one of those silly old... Packs, you know, I, I had one of these packs. There was a young lady that I knew, and we were like, she was a good friend, and we were like, hey, look, if, if neither one of us are married by the time we're 30, let's call each other and let's get married. You know, those packs like that, you know. So Sister Tracy and a former friend of hers kind of had a little pack, you know, before you get married, you know, let's talk to each other. Well, when I proposed to Sister Tracy, for her and for me, everybody else disappeared. That's the way it's supposed to be. No other woman, no other man exists on the planet except for that special one so i was sitting there in her apartment one day when he called and i could hear she let me hear you know we're sitting there <laughs> this ought to be a good lesson for the young folks too about etiquette and protocol you know if you're engaged you better let that person that you're engaged to hear everything <laughs> and so i'm sitting there i can hear the old fella calls up and he says hey i hear you're engaged and i'm just sitting there you know i could have gone through that phone <laughs> she said yep that's right and he said I thought we were going to call each other. She said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Talk to you later. The reason she did that is because she had a ring. Do you hear me? 
She had a ring. Forgive me, Sister Tracy, if you didn't like that, but I kind of thought it made a good example. <laughs> now listen to me very carefully as we close. Y'all can see this ring that I've got on my finger right here. It, it's not Tracy, right? It's just a symbol. And when I do weddings, I say, with this ring, it's a symbol of the union. Okay, it's not like kind, okay? And I'm not saying you've got to cut off your finger and give it to somebody like kind to secure that. I'm just saying, this is not like kind. It's just a ring. I've referred to this before as my championship ring. This is my championship ring right here. I always wanted to win a championship in sports, never did. Came real close a few times, helped coach on one or two that did. But this is my championship, okay? Christ, listen to me, is the ring. Do you hear me? The reason I got off on studying this was in Haggai 2 and 23, a few weeks ago, we talked about my servant Zerubbabel. And listen to what it says. It says, In that day saith the Lord of hosts, Will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, and will make thee as a signet ring? For I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, this was the special work where the Lord said, I'm, this guy was a type of Christ. And he's saying, Zerubbabel, the greater Zerubbabel, which is Christ, is going to be my signet ring. So Christ is the ring. It's not just something shiny that you see. He places a light, kind piece of heaven into your heart. And he is the ring of the king. You see, the signet ring of the king. You don't just have an engagement ring. You don't just have something that's a circular thing. The signet ring of the king is what the king carried out his orders with. He stamped his ring on the orders and he said, this shall be done. And I'm telling you, the son of God, Jesus Christ himself, he is the signet ring of God. He stamped the signet ring upon your salvation and he saved you by it. And he stamps the signet ring. Your engagement ring is Christ and it's stamped in your heart. Isn't that glorious? Christ has paid the bride price and it was a very costly price. He is the ring of the king. <laughs> Do you see the ring? You know, Brother Luke was talking about the, <laughs> the Lord of the Rings. It ties in pretty good. You know, the ring of power. <laughs> this is God's ring of power. This is Jesus Christ, the ring of the king. See? Your engagement ring is the signet ring of God and the Spirit in a special way. When you believe the truth, when you understand salvation is not up to you, it was not your choice, it was not your doing, it was not your belief. Your belief is just an evidence of what God has done for you. <laughs> See, and especially tied into the truth. Because, you know, how would it be if you were engaged to somebody and didn't even know their name? Well, I'm engaged. Well, who too? I don't know. <laughs> That'd be weird, wouldn't it? That's why it's tied to the gospel. You see, the gospel proclaims the name of Jesus Christ, the signet ring of God, and the Lord has impressed him upon your heart in a special way. If you believe that, you see, your, your engagement ring is the signet ring of the king. You hear the gospel, the truth, you trust, you believe, and he seals you, see, it's not something you do. It's, it's the bridegroom down on his knees proposing. Notice how he condescends below us to do that. You see? I'll never forget the night that Sister Tracy and I, we'd, we'd gotten married, we left the reception, had to swap cars because there were some mean people that, were gonna des that destroyed mom and dad's car. I knew that was going to happen, so we swapped cars. I had another, I had a second getaway car. So we got in our second getaway car because the first one had been destroyed. 
And uh, so we're, we're pulling away from downtown Tuscaloosa. She's in her beautiful wedding dress. I'm still in my tux. And I've been what was left of it after the groomsmen got a hold of me. But we're pulling away. And I remember looking over at her. And that's a moment that you just have to experience it to know it. So this is it. You know, this is you and me. This is us. This is bride and bridegroom. This is husband and wife. And she sat there. She was the very present guarantee of things to come. I had her. Do you understand that? She had me. We were together. And I've never experienced anything like that since because it was unique. It was a one-time thing there driving away. I haven't driven away from my wedding but one time, you know. And I thought, this is something, a guarantee of things to come. How precious is it that the king has impressed his ring upon your heart and you are engaged to the king? And you know what? If you want to look at it like an engagement, he's coming back to get you bodily one day. He's not going to be satisfied in just having your spirit in heaven. He's not going to be at all satisfied with your spirit here and your body here. And if your body goes into the grave and it lays there 10,000 years, He will not be satisfied but having you in person. I don't want to FaceTime with my wife. I don't want to send a message to her. I don't want just to hear from her on the phone. I want to be in her presence in an incredibly greater way. That's what the Lord has for us. He will not be satisfied with just the ring stamped on your heart. He's going to have you body, soul, and spirit in His presence. Do you believe that this morning? If you believe that, then you've seen the Atterbone. And the old saying goes, thinking about how he compares alcohol and drunkenness, it's a distant comparison to the spirit. The old saying goes, there's no high like the most high. Right? There's no high that this world can offer. No drug, no alcohol. There's no high like the most high. And I pray that we would hear, trust, believe, and that the Lord would seal us with that ring of the King.